wig cap, sunglasses. Just going in the places and going just... On a Sunday, yeah. And look around. Seeing what and, they do good? Yeah. This is the New Perspective Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Cable and Nate Clark. In today's episode, we are joined by Dave Skogan, founder of Festival Foods. Listen as you can hear the unique things that Dave did that really ended up separating him from everybody else. Also listen to his perspectives and experiences that he's accumulated, not only through business, but life too. Hey everybody, it's Kyle here. Before I roll this podcast, I want to take a quick second and say thank you to everybody who's liked and followed all of our content. Find us on the podcast app on iTunes at New Perspective, hold that E at the end, dot my intuition. On Facebook, New Perspective, again, no E at the end. And then on Instagram, you can see us at My Intuition. And if you want to see the videos of the podcast we've recorded, go ahead and go on YouTube and search New Perspective, again, no E at the end. Enjoy this podcast, and thank you, as always, for listening. I mean, I'm looking around your office, and I, I see Boomerang everywhere, and um, I kind of like read up on the concept, but if you could like hash that out and like how that all started and the belief behind that and the impact that that's had on your company. The boomerang theory started about seven years ago and uh, we needed something, some kind of tagline that would make sense for our guests that could relate to to who we are. You know, Walmart has one, mm-hmm. everybody has one. And uh, I was looking at the word boomerang and, and uh, on a video somewhere and I'm, first of all, I'm merciless in stealing ideas. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, Jim Hunter talked about that. Yeah, and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we learn stuff from other people. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always in competition looking at stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I read about this boomerang theory that, that uh, actually was a guy in Ireland who had adopted it, and he had like five grocery stores in it. <laughs> He said that, you know, every business decision we make is based on this question. Will it bring the customer back? Mm-hmm. I thought, boy, that makes a lot of sense because when you when you think about it, when we hire a teammate, it's about will he or she uh, engage the customer and want the customer to come back because of their engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't like my bartender or if I don't like the cashier at my grocery store, I'm going to avoid that person if I can. Mm-hmm. So the boomerang theory just simply says everything you do, you buy a piece of new equipment, you take on a new product, you're asking yourself, will the customer buy this? For a while I was carving out some wooden boomerangs and, and <laughs> uh, making them myself, and I'm not very skilled at that, but I had some help. And now, as you can see behind me, you know, I got probably two, three hundred of those. Yeah. And I give them out to a new leader, associate that's coming to work with us and doesn't know much about boomerang. And, you know, we're in the relationship business. We have to sell food. And, mm-hmm. and uh, if, we don't, if we don't do things, change things, innovate things, we're going to get passed by mm-hmm. by somebody else. I think that was one of my God-given talents. I'm, I was creative, and when I worked for my dad in the meat department, I was always looking for some cut of meat that I could cut a different way so that it could be cooked a different way that nobody else could mm-hmm. emulate. Yep. 
because we got we own this, you know. And for a while, we did it. We had signature items like spoon roast and ribs on a stick and a homemade bratwurst. They were better than anybody else's. They were hard to emulate. We really put quality pork in our bratwurst and a special seasoning that we discovered. And then we got to keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. We got to make them every day, not twice a week mm-hmm. and. And they're not quite as fresh when you buy them. That's not going to bring you back. We're going to have a fresher brat, better taste of brat. Better that's experience. What, that, that drives me. And I, I, I think maybe that's a coach in me. You talked about yeah. Coach Schmidt being out there. He's trying to figure out how he can get an advantage mm-hmm. over his competition. He's, he's out there recruiting people. He's going to coaches' clinics, trying to learn something that maybe he never thought about and he brings it back into the company the players benefit the community benefits because everybody wants to go see a winner we want to write about a winner we want to we just want to be part of a winning team Mm -hmm. even the fans do so if we can just focus on stuff like that you know how do we bring the customer back how do we how do we become unique and different in our business, whether it be insurance business, uh, a hospital running, a hospital running, a school, we want to be unique. Mm-hmm. And that's where the boomerang comes in. Constantly thinking about what's missing here. We used to have on our caps in the deli, what's missing? Tell us, customer. I'm not going to sit back. I don't want her going into Walmart. Next thing you know, she's filling up her cart. I got that competitive juice in me, and that's it. I'm not brilliant by any means, not even close. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll outwork, and I'll be creative and innovative. And I think that's an important concept that you can bring to a lot of different areas of business, pretty much all aspects of business, I guess, is always asking yourself, how can I set myself apart, or how can I be different, or how can I be memorable, that way, you know, they'll they'll see the value in me. Yeah. But if you don't have that in your heart, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just so easy to stay the same. To stay the same as everybody else. But we're doing good here. I can learn a lot. In the way they merchandise, the products they handle, the prices they charge, the service that they provide, good or bad. I mean, I can learn something. I don't go in there to see what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. When I go into Woodman's, I don't say, oh, man, the floors are dirty. We had more lanes open than they did. I'm going in there to see, I've never seen this product before. Where's that coming from? I might even buy one. If, you know, I look around and Mrs. Cable isn't in aisle six and she's smoking. <laughs> oh, my God. You know? And that happens. I, oh, what is aisle six? I wore, I wore a wig cap when I go in, or used to. I don't go in much anymore because that's not... Um, my job, <laughs> but I had a wig cap, sunglasses, just going in the places and just on Sunday, yeah, and look around, seeing what they do good, yeah. How you could you improve? Just, you can just hear it, like as you talk about it. That's really what separated you from so many different people is you're willing to do things like that, and it's not it's something that's easy, but it's something that people don't want to do. You can't just turn a button on and say, "Oh, I'm going to be passionate you can't. about this." You cannot mm-hmm. do it. You kind of talked about it a little bit ago, but you said. Um, you know, you're not you're not the the brightest, or you're not the best, 
And I think that what Nate and I have talked about with so many different people is you learn by just kind of doing. And you learn by, sometimes you fail, but you learn more from that sometimes than you do from, you know, the success. So talk about kind of the failures that you've kind of encountered and, and kind of some things that you've done to um, turn it into a, a positive outcome. Well, you do learn from mistakes, you know. I would be very reluctant to hire somebody in a management position, leadership position, if he or she said, you know, tell me about your mistakes you've made in life. Let's say that they're 45 years old and got 15 years in working in the grocery industry or whatever. You know, I can't really think of any. I've really not had any big... <laughs> now, she may be right, but I'll tell you what, I take that guy or gal that's made the mistake and learned from it. Right. So, 1982, we got... we. We left where the school district is now. It was our office for 15 years. And, uh, but before we made it into an office, I said, you know what, we need to have an in-store, we need to have a bakery that can service our three stores. And at that time we only, we had Gillsville, Holman, on Alaska, and North Cross. we had four stores. We'll get a central bakery that can bake all this stuff. One plant instead of four stores having a bakery and all this expensive equipment, mm. we'll have one. And then we'll just have somebody delivered every day to the four stores or three stores. Well, uh, as long as we're going to do that, let's have a little gift shop over here and then let's have a little restaurant. It was called Paul's Pantry. Mm -hmm. You weren't even born yet. Probably right? not. <laughs> right there where the school district is, Paul's Pantry. I named it after my dad, my late father. Never talked to my brothers about it. Never talked to the people that that work at Gateway Foods, that ultimately put us in business by signing, co-signing for us. I think I told you guys yeah. that one. We got into Center 90 and we got our first festival. I didn't have $10,000 in my name. I had to have Ronnie Reinhardt. He saw in me some talent and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest in that stock and he's gonna grow that business and I'm gonna win because he buys his product from me. But if he loses, I'm out the money, yeah. I take it over. So I get the, all this stuff done. I did the gift shop, I did the, the lunch, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and roast beef and all that diner stuff. And I had the bakery over here, three pieces in that place. We invested a half a million dollars, and we had the cash to do it. We didn't have to borrow. We half a million dollars to do the bakery, some restaurant equipment, and some shelving for the gift shop piece. 1982, Reinhardt comes in for the grand opening. I still have pictures of it. Reiny was the Pope. I mean, he was <laughs> he was our wholesaler, and he was when he talked, you listened. So I'm like. 30, 35 years old, maybe. And he walks in and he says, you know, he's supposed to congratulate the guy, you know, and, and uh, hug him or whatever and say, wow, nice congratulations. Oh, wow, look at that bakery. He says, why, did, why didn't you talk to me before you did this? Now, he probably had a clue. Somebody teed him up before mm -hmm. he got to this open house the night before our opening to say, 
Wait to see what they did in there. They got a bakery <laughs> case that stretches the whole length of that building. And Randy starts, yeah, I heard that too. You know. So he welcomes me with, what the hell are you thinking, kid? <laughs> you know, why don't you talk to me? So what did I learn from that? I wasn't egotistical. I wasn't like, I don't need my brothers or my wholesaler or anybody to tell me. I knew that we needed a bakery to service our four stores and a customer could walk in and sit down and talk to somebody over a cup of coffee about the wedding cake they want to order instead of doing it in the grocery store. No brainer. Oh, but I was totally wrong. It failed within two years. We turned it into a catering facility. Mm-hmm. Then later in office. Wow. So lost about, oh, better than a half a million dollars. Just, I wasn't embarrassed by it, but I learned, holy buckets. Good hard loss, good hard failure when you're young. Boy, as long as that doesn't put you out of business, you know. <clears throat> and it mm-hmm. didn't. We were profitable in our four stores, three stores. But uh, now I... I'm, I'm so cognizant of that. It just comes automatic. I, I don't do nothing. Buy a piece of equipment without talking to somebody about this, without taking a couple of days to rethink it. I just I just like listening and hearing. You can just hear how you are so much about other people before you have the self-interest. You, you talk All you talk about is customers, customers, customers. And I think that so many people kind of forget that and forget that they need to you know be worried about others before they kind of worry about themselves. and I We call it people before profits, and that means our employees and our customers. My dad told me once when I was starting to order new meat cases, he says, you know what, Dave, if I let you, I think you could bankrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't take it very serious. I didn't take it personal, but I knew what he meant. He, he never spent any money. He, did, he never bought a piece of equipment that he couldn't pay cash for. He never had a savings account. He had everything in checking. So he grew up that way, and he just, he didn't, that's why he didn't want us to grow. He says, this store right here, and it was the same size as that school district store, figured out. My dad died in 76. Before he died, he said, this is all a store you and your brothers will need. You don't need to be doing center 90. You don't need to be, you know. He just was fearful that we're going to you know, go broke because we're going to have to borrow money to get in those stores mm-hmm. and buy the inventory and buy the whatever the guy wants for his business. Kind of like either you're growing or you're dying. You know, if you're not looking to expand your business, you're killing your business, even though if you're staying at the same place. If you're yeah. staying at the same place, it's still like killing your business because other people are going to be growing yeah. past you. There's a couple <laughs> restaurants in our Cooley region. Mm-hmm that were once king of the hill. Yeah. And what happened to them? Well, they blame Outback, any franchise, you know, um, Famous Dave's or, or Buffalo Wild Wings for taking their business away. But they never changed. Mm-hmm. A lot of retailers like us just folded tent and sold it out. They said, huh. I can't, I can't do this. I can't compete with Walmart. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to keep changing. Just by definition, if you're not changing, you're going backwards. Mm-hmm. What were so? How many stores did you start out with when you took it all over? 
one. It was a sad story. And you've scaled it to how many now? It's 32. 32. Two on the ground, we'll be 34 at the end of the year. So what were some key strategies that you did um, to scale it to that level, to keep changing and keep adapting and keep giving value to the customer? Well, two things. You had to be making money because you got to pay for this stuff. Right. Yeah. The inventory alone is about $3 million just to stock the shelves. And then you get all this equipment, another $10 million. Maybe you're leasing the building, so you're paying rent in some cases. Mm -hmm. So you got to have money. You got to be making money. The next thing you got to do is make sure, if, let's, for example, if we're going to go into Fond du Lac, which we are, we did, um, we got to make sure that we've got employees that are with us today that are willing to move to Fond du Lac. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a half a dozen people. We went and bought our first store outside of La Crosse. Mark and two of his buddies, they were all in their mid-twenties, took off to Marshfield and turned that store around. Hmm. Now we got an opportunity to go to Green Bay. Gateway's got a store there that's suffering. It's a festival store, believe it or not. Open about the same time ours did. So Mark couldn't wait to get his shoelaces <laughs> tied and get out of Marshfield and get to go to Green mm -hmm. Bay. And he took his two buddies with him. We had to have people to slide into that store. Mm -hmm. They were loving Mark and his team. You know, what a change, man. Yeah. You know, Mark's on our scrubbing floors and cashiering and, huh. We never saw the owner in the previous store, but mm -hmm. we cleaned it up, but we just put good people in there. I remember Ray Nitschke said, we became good acquaintances. So I called him when we bought the Green Bay store. I said, my son's going to be there to run it. And you keep an eye on him. You, you, uh, cool. you pump him up. He said, well, I want to tell you, we don't shop there anymore. Uh, that store is so unfriendly and dirty. Now it's been open about a year. Mm -hmm. And I said, we know all about that, Ray. Just you watch. This thing is going to turn overnight. You'll, you'll see the change. So he goes in the store and he's looking. I mean, we had, we had Packers shopping there. We had, but Nitschke lived a mile, about a mile away. He and his wife would come in and shop. And he was like five, seven, eight years out of professional football mm -hmm. at the time. And he he just loud mouth, you know, he getting as to where's that Skogan boy? You know, he'd <laughs> yell out louder than hell, you know, of course, you know, that's Ray Nitschke. Well you find Mark, get Mark. You know. <laughs> so, you know, he, he just kinda kept tabs on him, but when I saw him when I went one day to Green Bay and caught up with him, he said, You know, I can't believe this. My wife and I despise see that gal up there checking out? And Cora was like three bills and just looked I mean she was like 30 years old she was a bagger but she mm -hmm. could hardly move mm -hmm. but we he said Cora she's okay I said yeah we changed some people some of them just got off the bus I'm not shaving my beard are you kidding me I'm not taking my earrings out and they left but the others the ones that stayed said, you know, I'm ready for some change. I want to be on a winning team. Let's see what this is like. And Cora, 
she passed away a few years ago of diabetes, but she was starting to talk to customers and she started keeping herself personally a little neater looking and um, but Nitsky just couldn't figure out what what happened you know so we we inspire people we influence people we incentivize them a little bit and, and then when we hire new people we're getting guys like you because we're running a good store and the parents mm -hmm. are saying I want my kid to work there right. yeah. so people keep telling me we're, what's your training program like Man, those kids, especially those young kids, are so polite and kind. I said, it's the parents. As we don't have, if I showed you our training program, you'd say, hold on, what's so big about this, you know? So we put the best people on the bus, and uh, we get the cream of the crop. It's, it's funny you say, I was, I was waiting for it until you kind of finished up, but you said bus there at the end, and I'm currently re reading a book called The Energy Bus by John Gordon. And it's amazing. Everything you just described is, is like word for word how he kind of describes how we should go about our lives. And um, it's all about kind of getting people on, that, on the bus, getting them on, on the right bus. 